All right, welcome to a new podcast, and this is called uh, All Things Explained. And you are the boy who never was. The boy who never was, which means what? That's a mystery that may be revealed. Okay. Later. So the the title of this podcast, All Things Explained, that's a pretty ambitious title. I don't think anything less is achievable. Yeah, but you're focusing here on philosophy. Like we're not going to be explaining, you know, the carbon content in different types of trees, for example. It's uh, yeah, philosophy is the entry point. It's really about understanding reality. So I'm not ruling out a brief discussion on the carbon content of trees, but, but understanding things. reality, life the meaning of life. Yes. And are you going to be, you're going to be tying in philosophy, obviously, history. Yeah, of course. History of thought. Mm -hmm. um, and I, history. And history itself, right? Mm -hmm. History of thought and history. And ideas present in the culture today. Yes. Things that people need to know. Yes. Um Plato said the unexamined life is not worth living. Right. Uh, it, it's important for us to understand the, the context of our lives so that when we're thinking about ourselves, trying to understand who we are, the explanation we get is closer to being the correct explanation and not being just what some people have told us. And people used to tell myths that have since been debunked by scientific explanation, but those myths included within them an explanation of who we are and why we do the things we do and why the things that happen to us happen to us. And people were carrying around false explanations for those things, and so they did not understand at a fundamental level who they are or what was happening to them or even what they were doing. So understanding that requires unpacking everything and being aware of how everything interconnects. So that makes it difficult to find a good starting point right? for something like this because you can't understand one thing that relates to a hundred other, other things without some understanding of those hundred other things. Yeah, there is no starting point that's going to save you the trouble of trekking around over the whole territory. But then most any starting point is a good place to begin because you start. Exactly. <laughs> so, so we will you start begin. the beginning. Yeah. So, because we batted around this idea of how do we approach something like this and where to start. So, we're basically deciding to just start. Yes. And would you say that um, what some people have called the meaning crisis in our modern world, would you say that's something you're attempting to address in this podcast? Of course. Okay. Yeah. And would you are you attempting to address uh, social, cultural, political issues in our current time? Yes. Okay. And the background necessary to make sense of those. Yeah, the background necessary, and by background, I don't necessarily mean going back in time. Uh, sometimes that's very useful to see how this grew out of something from the past. 
the the hard part and the beneficial part is recognizing what's important to know about it what uh what at the core is driving the whole thing so if you're in the ocean and you want to know where you're headed it's good if you can take your focus off the waves that are crashing against your boat and figure out what the underlying current is hmm. because that in the end is going to get you where you're going right if you can figure out the underlying current it saves you a lot of time and confusion and understanding uh, what things are about and there are currents of thought and as history goes on, mm -hmm. intellectual history, things change. And would you would you say that something is being lost in our world right now? Some level of understanding of these important issues related to understanding the world and the meaning of life? Uh, yes, and by intention. Mm. Um, of course, things are always being lost in history when the Mongols overran various civilizations a lot of things were lost right and the tumult uh and when there are wars things are lost um there's uh <clears throat> when i say things are lost intentionally when one religion takes over from another religion uh, Depending on the religion, it will intentionally rub out or erase from history and everyone's thought aspects of the former competing religion that it deems um, wicked or contrary to the good. Uh, in general, that will end up being anything that's contrary to the kind of thinking the new religion requires to control people. That's um actually I would say applies even more broadly than in religion. You see the year zero initiative with lots of revolutionary movements. Mm -hmm. We're gonna start restart our reckoning of history as now being the beginning mm -hmm. as they implement these new ideas. You saw that in the French Revolution and the Bolshevik Revolution. Right. Calling it year zero. And of course, Christians date things from our own year zero mm -hmm. as well. And religions are an example and a type, and we want to be a little more encompassing than that, of looking at thought systems that function as religions, and what are the things about religions that that we're focusing on here, um, not you know the forms of the prayers or things like that. The idea that there are certain fundamental values or fundamental beliefs that an adherent of the religion thinks everyone must hold. And, you know, that and must hold, that's an incomplete sentence, must hold for what? What are the consequences if you don't? What's mm. the force of that must? Mm. So for a fundamentalist, Christian, there are certain beliefs you must hold in order to get to heaven. Okay. Um, but he's not going to bash you over the head. You don't have to hold these things to keep from getting hurt. It's not that kind of must. Mm -hmm. If he's a fundamentalist Christian, because there's nothing in the New Testament about 
forcing anybody to believe anything. Right. Uh, but there are, Jesus preaches on hell, and so he does outline that there are consequences for making certain decisions and certain how holding certain beliefs and treating people certain ways. Um, <clears throat> so what's the force of the must? Uh, usually uh, uh, in when there's a dominant religion, a dominant belief system, there's also a political system that goes along with that. Uh, with something like Marxism, that's inherent to the belief system. It's all about politics. But there are, um, you know, the, the true believers who say this outcome is the outcome that we must bring about. And uh, it doesn't have any side constraints on how you bring it about. Mm, right, right. And so things can get uh, pretty rough and there aren't any constraints on what it takes to keep this ideal situation ideal. And well, and would you agree that Marxism is actually broader than politics too? Marxism has, I would say, a view of man, a view of morality and mm -hmm. eschatology. It fits most of the components that people would refer to as a religion. Uh, yeah, and I've gotten used to using politics more broadly. Okay. okay. So when I say politics, I don't no, I'm not talking about Democrats versus Republicans. You're talking about a broad system of thought. <clears throat> yeah, because uh, leftism in the 20th century, especially following Marcuse, mm. interpreted politics broadly, the idea that everything was political. Mm -hmm. That's the justification for, you know, casting a very forceful, coercive net over everything, mm -hmm. saying, uh, and even if you don't think of it in terms of Leninist coercion, uh, you think of it introspectively as questioning what one is doing in order to bring about, you know, the revolution or the, the better society that um, in your personal life, you should do this rather than that because everything is political. Right. The personal is the political. You don't have a private life mm. separate from uh, the political good. Right. And so everything down to your private thoughts is fair game for society to reach in and adjust because under this theory, everything impacts uh, the political or the social well-being of the society. Right, right. Okay, so I think I see where you're going with this because I asked about um, something being lost, and that is an understanding of the meaning of life and what it is to be a human mm -hmm. um, that used to be more present in our culture mm -hmm. that is now fading away as Christianity becomes less of the mm -hmm. norm among the population. And so... Your your answer to that was yes, something is being lost, but also that's at least in part deliberate in nature. Yeah. So yeah. this other this other set of ideas is essentially being pushed into the public sphere mm -hmm. through various means, and this would include a large element of Marxist or communist thought behind it. Yeah. Okay, and so you're in intending to address all of these things in this podcast. Yeah, and we don't want to get target fascination on any one thing like, you know, Marxist professors or whatever. It's a very complicated world. There are a lot of layers. 
um, active and, and, and interacting. And everything ties together. As we were saying, but everything ties together. So, so in in here, you'll be covering some things like, like for instance, the importance of healthy relationships and that as a source yes. of meaning in our. Yeah, that's central to human existence. One of the things we're made for. Yes, and you're going to be covering um, historical aspects of the not just the family but related ideas and then the undermining of that in the modern world you're going to be talking about some directly political thought like uh and history and political thought like the major revolutions like the french revolution the bolshevik revolution the communists in china yeah yeah right. and more just like examples of the kinds of things that happen when people glom on to certain ideas mm -hmm. and and we're going to be turning some things upside down because they tend to be looked at simplistically and stereotypically and when you look at the inner workings it turns out to be about something a little different something very human um, and it makes a lot better sense when you accept a little more complexity mm, yeah in it yeah um Certainly, when I'm looking at this thing, I'm going to uh, not talk about sides except very briefly when I'm making it obvious I'm talking simplistically or talking about how other people think of things. The It's very natural when in a disagreement or a conflict for things to precipitate into sides, very much like in a war. Mm -hmm. where the guy that you would invite over for supper before the war, during the war, he's wearing a different colored uniform. You're trying to kill him. After the war is over, you get back together and reestablish your friendship. And politics in the narrow sense, a lot of it is about precipitating that kind of reduction of human relationships to one point of conflict and you're not allowed to think about or bring into play other things i mean if you're on the front line in world war one and you start talking about uh and you're a brit and you start talking about well those poor germans they'd probably want to be here either or you start questioning the whole pretext of the war like well, should we really be here then, you know, the sergeant may have you dragged out behind the lines and shot. Right. Not that any of those questions are at all illegitimate, but in that context, there is one goal. And nothing else is allowed to compete with that. That is, we're not balancing values. There's one value. All other values must be mm. uh, crushed or bracketed to the side, at least, and not brought into play until this is over. And that uh, sometimes that's an essential component of an ideology, that it says this ideal is so valuable, it's like winning a war and everything else has to be um, jettisoned, uh, at least bracketed and put on hold for a while, but maybe destroyed completely for the sake of achieving this goal. And it may be a goal that requires that kind of 
perpetual sacrifice in order to be maintained. Hmm. What you're saying now in relation to this podcast, mm-hmm. you don't want to focus so narrow that you have to destroy all the other approaches or all the other considerations. No, we're always open to more information, Okay, changing what we think about things. But we want to uh, appreciate that uh, reality is complex. Mm-hmm. And when we try to make ourselves feel better and feel like we're understanding something by simplifying it and cutting off the discussion, uh, we're only harming ourselves. You're also going to be covering some philosophy, some fundamental philosophy in this podcast. It'll be mentioned, sure. And that's uh, your background. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you had you studied philosophy undergraduate. I have a, an and, earned doctorate yeah, in philosophy. I taught philosophy at the university level. PhD yes. in philosophy and taught university philosophy. And have professional publications, yes. And and so and you've described this um this podcast as in some some sense your dissertation and by that term, you mean uh, a summation of everything that I've learned. So you're hopefully bringing age and wisdom and some serious scholarship to these ideas. Well, that's the hope. That's the hope. And you're coming at. Well, this... I'm bringing age. That's a done deal. <laughs> all right, all right. We, we at least have that. And um, you're coming at this from a Christian point of view. Yes, I think that's important to make clear. But it's audience. from a reasoned. Christian. All right, sure, yeah. Point of view and open to objections and questioning and reworking of that. Okay. So anything else you want to add right now is it in the intro for uh for people to give them an idea of what to expect in coming episodes. What to expect? Um expect to have topics covered together that you never expected went together. Oh, right. Because everything ties together. Because everything ties together. Hence the title here, All Things Explained. So we'll be talking about things in the 21st century, and I'll bring in something from the 19th century because it relates directly to it. Right. It's part of the explanation for why the 21st century is the way it is. and. We will be talking about psychology because that has a lot to do with why people believe the things they do and why they act the way they do, Um, especially when there's some cognitive dissonance or life dissonance where your habits don't match your Mm. beliefs and desires. Uh, When we talk about belief systems like Freudianism, there are are layers to that. Is it true? Hmm. I mean, it doesn't matter who Freud was, you know, is what he said right. But in understanding whether it's right, evaluating it, and really even understanding what he meant by it, then there's a, a need at some point to look at Freud, the person, and hmm. what he was grappling with and what motivated him. And that can be part of the assessment. And why would we talk about Freud? Uh, I think most everything Freud said was wrong, but he was immensely influential. And we would need to understand why his thinking was influential. 
because there are millions of people, including hundreds of thousands of intellectuals, saying things all the time, sensible things, wacky things. Every now and then an idea catches on. Mm -hmm. Why would that idea catch on at that time in that place? How did it fit in with the pre-existing mindset so that it served as um, a catalyst that caused something new to arise sometimes very quickly? Yeah, I am. Um... I have a book, I believe the title is called Seven Men Who Rule the World from the Grave. And mm -hmm. Freud is one of those people. Yes. Yeah. Um, I believe he's one in the, or it might have been 10 men who rule the world from, from the grave. I forget exactly, but you get the idea. That's what you're getting. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and, and it tells us something about ourselves. Because, okay, I think Freud has been debunked. I don't know that that's that controversial anymore to say that. Well, I, I don't think you would say Freud, as in everything he said and wrote, is correct, or everything he said and wrote is incorrect. You would have to articulate uh, his major thesis and the major theses. And, yeah. and but but why did people glom onto it so enthusiastically? I mean, he hit a home run. Yeah, and, and how was he able to do that? Why? were people willing and eager to go wrong in that direction at that time. Yeah, yeah. That tells us a lot about who we are. Yeah, okay, right, right. Okay, just for purposes of introduction, Freud is one name. Mm -hmm. Just throw out a few other names of people that you think you might be uh, referring to in this podcast or explaining or exploring in this podcast. A few other names. Um, Rousseau. Rousseau, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Yeah, because he he did a lot to help topple the old regime way of thinking. Okay. He was in in many ways um anti-Christian. Sure. Um, although in some ways that's pretty obvious, and in other ways, um he he didn't fly the flag openly of what he was. Mm -hmm. Um, but his ideas really opened the door or prepared the ground for a hedonistic way of looking hmm. at life. So by hedonistic, it means pleasure is the right. good. That was the core value of utilitarianism. If you've been to college and taken a philosophy course, you might have heard of you know, the utilitarian ethics. Mm -hmm. uh, but the gist of it is right and wrong hinges on maximizing pleasure for okay. the greatest number of people. And so that makes pleasure the core of value. And what people didn't seem to stop and think was, okay, we're animals. Animals feel pleasure and avoid pain. So there's a naturalistic basis for ethics. and seeking pleasure and avoiding pain if we if that's the good then bringing more about makes us good people more pleasure um but we missed a little beat there about well does pleasure count for everything or does doing something meaningful count for something that's where you're going to be aiming 
in this Well, that's process. one thing to consider. Well, certainly. Because if living a meaningful life is important, or if it's what's most important, then living a pleasurable life isn't going to get you there. Mm, right, right. And if you have a civilization that is grounding its ethics, at least the elite leadership, is grounding its ethics in something false, something that isn't the good, but calling it the good, um, then a lot of things are going to go yeah, wrong. Yeah, there are huge and, ramifications to that. And no one's really going to be able to stop it from happening. Right. Okay. So now, just for introduction now, just for the people who are listening. So I'm thinking they're going to listen to this episode and and hopefully decide, oh, yeah, this is things that I need to study, understand, or review, or go more deeply in. So Rousseau was one. Rattle off mm -hmm. a few more names of thinkers that might be explored in coming episodes. Well, the obvious ones would be um, Bentham and Mill and um, Nietzsche. Nietzsche. And Marcuse. Marcuse. Uh, Marx. Karl Marx. Okay. Okay. Um, Galileo. Galileo, yeah. Francis Bacon. Newton. Uh, Newton, not so much. Okay. Because, I mean, the story's pretty much told by the time Newton gets there. Gotcha. I mean, okay. as a scientist, obviously, he's extremely important. Uh, and very influential. I'm not going to really skip over him, but uh, the the boat that Newton was on is being steered by Galileo and Francis Bacon. Okay, right, so those are some names. Any others going back? Plato, Aristotle. Uh, sure, because these issues really get started when you talk about questions of value and how do we. How do we create a good life? And what does it mean to live a good life? Then Socrates is already grappling with mm -hmm. that. Sure. And Plato and Aristotle are trying to answer and carry forward and correct whatever Socrates addressed. Right. And then looking historically, obviously, Christianity <laughs> coming onto the scene and Christian thinkers, Augustine, mm -hmm. Aquinas, these seminal thinkers. Right. With uh, a new idea of what counts as a good life mm -hmm. and what makes things good and one that I think is more in accord with human nature. But then there's this idea, okay, how do we, how can we discern what is human nature? How do we, how do we tweeze apart what the nature of people is from the accidents that accrue to human beings from their environment. Yeah, this, this understanding of <clears throat> what is a human. Yeah. Like, that's a huge question. You get yeah. right and, and it's easy to cheat. And we're, we're going to see this over and over again where a thinker has a, a pet way of living or his vision of way things should be. And he reads that into human nature. Oh, right. And we'll yeah. see this over and over again with the state of nature theories. Well, okay. in the state of nature, people are, and um, Thomas Hobbes said, well, in the state of nature, people are constantly at war with each other over scarce right. resources. Right. And John Locke said, no, in the state of nature, people are noble individuals uh, building good lives from nature. They cultivate land, they cut down trees and build houses, and it's 
positive for the most mm -hmm. part. Occasionally, have to defend themselves, but uh, and then you have a state of nature by Rousseau, mm -hmm. where oh, it's kind of wonderful and people live together naturally and it, it's nice until you get civilization and then everything <laughs> goes sideways. Right. Right. Okay. So those are some of the figures that we might be exploring. But we're not done with it because today, right now. Okay, go ahead. Um, um, if you look at the workings of uh, the CDC and the NIH, they're taking new theories of um, trauma, say, psychology, but, um, but they want to read the program they want to build on that into human nature. And it's usually done under cover of evolution. Mm. That, oh, mm. by evolution, we naturally developed blah, blah, blah. And... Uh, it turns out that, you know, a million years ago, we were all living, you know, blissfully in these small C communist societies. And there wasn't a lot of individualism. We all depended on each other for survival. And and that's just the way we should be because that's how nature developed, how, how we developed in nature. So it's a state of nature theory because nobody knows how, you know. Was Hobbes right? Or a million years ago, or people at each other's throats, or whatever? You're saying that we, we, we. I'm saying they have a play, a way they want society to be, and they're going to justify whatever policies or movements it takes to get there and stay there by saying, "Oh, that's the way we are by nature," when nobody has a good way of knowing whether that's where we. By nature. Right, right. And you're also saying that, that these ideas from some of these thinkers still have a substantial grip today on certain I people and institutions and policies today. Uh, well, I suppose. I suppose that there are, well, well there, by, by resonance, I mean, certainly they had a great influence at one time and those that effect became institutionalized and those institutions are still functioning. Um, so, I mean, look, a, a lot of people, they think country's going in the wrong direction. Let's go back to the, the constitution said, and the constitution was influenced by people like Blackstone who were influenced yeah. by people like John Locke. Right. But when we say John Locke, I don't want to raise him up too high. He was mm. saying things that weren't totally out of line with what other people in his day were saying. He was part of a general rights of man movement. Yeah, you could think of him as a starting point. So we well, well we simplify it by just focusing on Locke, but it was Locke and other guys saying similar things, and the, together they all had uh, an effect on how people thought about humans and how human society should be uh, institutionalized and constructed. What, what, what institutions should we have? Mm -hmm. um, should we have a king? Uh, no, why not? Well, because um, they cause too much trouble. They, they are too prone to limit rights. And this whole idea of thinking of human relations in terms of rights, that was an invention. Mm of the 16th century. Okay. All right. So we've named a few people 
that will likely be coming up in episodes. Mm -hmm. Let's um, name some historical events or eras that might be coming up. I'll throw out a few to start. The Magna Carta. Okay. I'm not asking for a comment on it now. I'm just saying these sorts of things we, we will be perhaps looking at. Protestant Reformation. Uh, that one, uh, yeah, yeah, um, we'll, we'll we'll definitely be looking at that. The Magna Carta, it was a step toward distributing power. It was a step against centralization of power in a king, which is no small achievement. Yeah, yeah. Because in any system, the natural tendency is for power to get continually focused until there's one locus of power over all the others because otherwise you get this disorder mm -hmm. that um i mean you might have an oligarchy that has everything underneath it in a tight order but what's ordering the oligarchy aren't they mm -hmm. elbowing each other for position mm -hmm. and things get nasty and philosophers have speculated that well look uh, when you have this kind of demos or lack of order, eventually a strong man comes along to put things in order and people welcome that because yeah. they're tired of the disorder. Right. It's too right. dangerous. Right. And so um, you can see that in the Soviet Union where the, the Troika gets winnowed down to Joseph Stalin and he's the absolute power mm -hmm. over the oligarchy, which is the absolute power over the Soviets and um, I mean, it's not a one-way road. It's not absolute because people got really tired of being scared to death under Stalin. And yeah. so you end up with more of an oligarchy after that. So right. it devolved into an oligarchy because mm -hmm. instead of people running from disorder to order, they were, <laughs> they wanted a little disorder because <laughs> yeah. the kind of order he brought was, was, was was it oppressive? too dangerous? Yeah. yeah, it was more dangerous than the disorder. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, again, I'm just asking certain historical events that people can look forward to in future episodes. So, Protestant mm -hmm. Reformation, the the Communist Revolutions, Communist Revolution, French Revolutions, or Communist Revolutions, mm -hmm. plural, across various countries. Yeah, and and part of it is what the revolution is about, but a lot of it will be how human nature which I haven't yet defined carefully, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, raises its ugly head and interferes in the process of these revolutions. You know, why did the French Revolution end so badly? Yeah. Why did it end in dictatorship? That's a huge question. And yes. And so, so French Revolution, American Revolution, mm -hmm. going back to English Revolution, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. But always with an eye toward understanding the larger picture. Yeah, right. Exactly. That uh, okay. Here's here's this upheaval. Why were people so dissatisfied that they were willing to risk their lives and kill other people in order to change the situation? And I do think that these questions have yeah, that goes back to ideas and values. Well, yeah, yeah, but also have huge ramifications today to understanding our world today, mm -hmm. understanding what ideas are being put out there today, it really helps to know what has been tried before and how did that go. Mm -hmm. And so, all right, any... Um, and then we begin to understand that the ideas 
aren't all that different, that the human concerns that drive these changes and ideologies have always been present. They mm -hmm. play out differently at different mm. times. Okay, I think I follow you. Right. Like and, there's, there's a nothing new under the sun. And that is where we can get some insight into who we are. Mm -hmm. Because after watching the human race pass through all these transformations, you begin to discern what's common to all of it. Mm. What's mm. not accidental or environmental, but that there are some core inclinations and needs and truths yeah that we live within yeah uh, that because part of this is uh, an openness to the idea that there is a larger picture in which we're functioning that there is a moral up and down in the universe mm -hmm. that is exactly contrary and i mean that belief in a moral up and down in the universe is exactly contrary to the modern current of thought. Right. And that's something that will become more credible as we look at human history and the, the movements of ideas and beliefs that, that values have played a hidden decisive role in these currents uh, that have gone unrecognized by historians who want to keep to the facts and they tend to get closer and closer to the material facts and they're missing a key part of the picture that um, it matters what people value and the whole idea of something mattering that's tells you mm. there's a, a value standard a system going value on. judgments yes. are taking place right driving this idea trying to steer and control this idea that the universe is meaningless takes a herculean effort mm. and it's ultimately unsuccessful of course right and and really you could have shortcut through all that that if you think the universe is meaningless then there literally is nothing to understand and all these attempts okay. to understand things are pointless. Right, right. And I don't think that people experience the world that way. Right. Yeah. Okay, anything else you want to mention that people could expect in future episodes of this podcast? Oh, expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. Because, right. yes, you know, you, you build up this explanation and then you throw in something from the side and it mm -hmm. just okay. Okay. knocks it all. Right. Well, I, I think that <laughs> knocks I think, it all down. I think that'll give listeners an idea of where you're hoping to go with this. And we'll watch it unfold in coming weeks and months. Very good. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.